Welcome back to Fresno's Best Podcasts. So, today, we have a wonderful guest. His name is DJ Kreiner. Uh, he is a pastor at Saints Rest Baptist Church. Uh, we talk about a lot of things. Um, it was a really fun conversation. We figured out that we had a lot in common uh, that I kind of knew going into the conversation, but it was fun to figure it out together. Um, we talk about all sorts of things. It was a great podcast. A couple uh, quick uh, administrative updates, though. Uh, we do have a Patreon account, uh, which is an account uh, that we created to help support the costs and production of this podcast. The costs are not a lot. I don't want to oversell how much it costs to produce this podcast, but there are some costs, whether that's hosting, um, whether that's software used to download this stuff, whether that's mics, whatever. Um, if you could support in any small capacity, that would be uh, awesome as a way to uh, support the uh, production and distribution of conversations with leaders in Fresno uh, that people need to hear. So um, the link to our Patreon account is right on our page, uh, right uh, in the details or show notes section of this, as well as um, the page the main page of our podcast. So if uh, you're feeling charitable, we would love uh, to have your support. It would mean a lot to us. Um, also, make sure you follow us on Instagram. Um, I post all the uh, links as well as the descriptions of the episodes when we post them. Uh, that's a way, if you're not on your podcast app all the time, uh, to keep up with the podcast. And yeah, in addition today, uh, for the first time, I'm going to be posting the links uh, to the books uh, recommended in part because DJ recommended so many books. I wanted to put the links uh, down at the bottom uh, below the podcast in the area where the description is. OK. Uh, all right. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation with DJ Kreiner. Where do you like to eat in Fresno? Oh man, um, I love Chef Paul's. Uh, I am uh, amazed at when I go to um, these Greek restaurants. Like I love Greek food too, man. Uh, so I'm a black dude that loves Greek food. So um, there's an awesome spot downtown um, that's right next to uh, the voting booth, the voting office called Gus's, one of my favorite. And Tarasco Grill is my ultimate favorite as well. But man, if I had to put one above the other, I'd probably say Chef Paul. Chef Paul's the best soul food in town. Yeah, I've I've heard lots of recommendations for his uh, his place, and it's kind of like it's kind of like nationally known too. Like it's like, I feel like it I've is. I've heard about it outside of Fresno. Yeah, it was on the Food Channel. Um, what's the guy with the blonde hair? Uh, uh, I forgot his name, man. Uh, he went over and he he tasted some shrimp and grits and fell in love with it. Now everybody wants shrimp and grits, even though I've been telling everybody about shrimp and grits a long time ago. So maybe <laughs> if I dye my hair blonde and wear it like real, real messy, maybe everybody will take my recommendation sometimes too about food. Yeah, it does seem like, <laughs> and it pisses me off too, because I, when I first moved here, um, uh, coming on four years ago, um, people were saying, oh, we, we finally got a good restaurant in Fresno. We got Annex Kitchen. I'm like, you think that's the only good restaurant in Fresno? Like, there's something, there's something <laughs> wrong with you. You know, and it's just. I mean, it's it's good food, but like, I mean. Yeah, it's I, not the best ever, you know what I no, mean? But it, it is good. It, it is, is good. But that, it takes, is good. that takes away from like some of the stuff that is Fresno grown, you know? Absolutely. And I, you know, I mean, for me, I've, since I've been here, I've been 
I kind of I kind of like to pick a spot and then you know dig around in it for a while. So I've been digging around in mm-hmm. Indian food around Fresno, which has been kind of a fun. Oh yeah, because there's such good stuff. Um, but ne- the next thing that I I want to dig into around Fresno that I talked about with a previous guest is is Lao food, um, because I I haven't really gone into that world that much, and uh, you know I I hear there's some amazing spots, and I think that's I think that's the thing is like, you know, people just need to get out of their neighborhoods too, you know where they are. I agree. Because you can sometimes get hold up and, you know, you just know what's in your neighborhood. I agree. I agree. I think uh, that kind of comes from, like, the fact that we were so isolated growing up that all we saw was what we saw. And basically our culture is basically what we saw or that, those things that are around our culture. And Fresno, just like Stockton, is so, like, connected to uh, the Hispanic culture where you basically saw a whole lot of taco trucks, right, like set up, like pop-up, text, pop-up shops. And so, for the most part, if you ask most people uh, what their favorite food to eat is tacos, because that's what we see. Unless you're outside of, like, the hood or the, uh, or the slums, you know, the majority of the things that we see is what's around us. And unfortunately, um, there's not a lot of restaurants in Southwest Fresno, man, just like there wasn't a lot of restaurants in South, Southside Stockton. So, you kind, of, uh, you kind of fall in love with what you identify most with or what you see the most. Yeah, absolutely. And you brought up Stockton, so let's get into it. I um okay. I had to move to I moved to well, let me back up a second. Um so I I personally think and you know, uh this is my own pet theory that uh people that grow up in in places that are not always the best can make some of the strongest people. So I grew up <laughs> for the most part in kind of uh the rough like oil field worker part of Bakersfield. That's where my family's from. And it was, it it was, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't an ideal place to live necessarily. uh, But I feel like it made me into a strong person. Um, And I feel like Stockton is another side of that coin. Right. And I, I got to live there for a little over a year um, because my wife was working at uh, UOP for a year. And, Uh and I, uh, I, I lived right by, um, Victory Park, I think. Uh, so yeah, down Victory there, Park. and I would walk my dog to the down to the river, uh, straight down that like off, what is it, Devil Mountain Road or whatever. Um, yeah, and yeah. I I fell in love with just the river and the city and everything about it. Um, and you know, I I just wanted you to share, you know, because Stockton's been in the news lately with Michael Tubbs being the mayor and different things going mm-hmm. on there. Um, what can you just share like? how you think Stockton growing up in Stockton has kind of made you who you are? Yeah, man. So I, I think we have like a lot uh, that we have in common. My mother was born in Bakersfield. Interesting okay. enough. Yeah. yeah that's, and she moved to Stockton when her, um, her, her biological mother passed away. And so Stockton was where her godmother, who I, who my grandmother um, is, um, was living. And my mother graduated from Franklin high school and she ended up going to UOP and graduated with a degree in music theory. Right. So, See the connection, man. Yeah, and lots my, of them. My, from what I was told, my first birthday party was at Victory Park. See, man. Oh, really? I think we're, we're family members. <laughs> yeah. man. I really do, brother. I, I think we really related. We got we got different complexions, but we're related, bro. Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, but man, Stockton was man. Stockton was home, man. It's um, um. But I've been in Fresno for twenty years, uh, but um, which which really kind of like makes sense because I've been in Fresno longer than I was in Stockton, which is shocking. Now that I think about it, because I left Stockton at 17. Yeah. And when I when I was in Stockton, I grew up on the south side of Stockton, which is predominantly African-American. At that time, uh, it was like 77% African-American. 
and many sat at the in the lower stratification table, so they were the lower, lower. Now, it was no middle class whatsoever in Southside Stockton. So between Nightingale, Bel Air, Sierra Vista, and Conway, for the most part, that was considered the hood. Well, my school was in Eastside Stockton, which is another gang territory. So Southside was predominantly Bloods, Eastside was predominantly Crips, right? And so you had to make a choice. But now that you're going to school uh, on the east side, like, what are you going to do? So we had a whole lot of gang uh, gang uh, wars. We had crime like crazy, brother, drug sales. Everything you saw was basically drug infested. But then the moment you crossed over that March Lane Persian, where you um, uh, are familiar with, all of a sudden you entered what Aladdin and Jasmine talked about. In, a, in the movie Aladdin, A Whole New World. It's like, man, like I'm in a, <laughs> yeah. a, a different kind of world, right? The streetlights actually work. You know, there are sidewalks. Wow, there is grass that looks different than brown and yellow, right? It's green grass, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's restaurants. Southside, you didn't see any restaurants. You didn't see any, um, any, uh, any, any serious supermarkets with the exception of supermarkets that were, like, created in Southside Stockton. So there was no food maxes, no food flesses. And I was like big values and drugstores where you knew the owners, right? And so that was the mindset. The mindset was not to get out of Stockton, but to do something to bring some hope to Stockton because the only hope you saw was drugs and crime for the most part. And then football and athletes, of course. So we never saw anybody that would look like us that was in positions of predominant power with the exception of maybe at that time, the vice mayor, Floyd, uh, Floyd White. But for the most part, bro, we didn't see any African-American, any brown, uh, that resembled any form of hope. All we saw was those that looked like us were standing on the corners selling, or you had you know, that local hero in your neighborhood that was always pushing you for greatness or a coach. And so when you see stuff that's going on now, like Mike Tubbs, who came from my alma mater, Franklin High School, and you see the great things that this dude is doing, it's just awesome to see a kid come from the same area that you were. And I remember that kid. When I was in Stockton, I went to school with my sister for six years, man, from junior high all the way through high school. And you see the greatness, not just of the color of the young man, but the background of the young man. You know, his, I mean, his father's current wife goes to our church in Fresno. You know what I mean? Like, so you're hearing the stories, you're making connections, and you're like, this is what hope looks like. Hope yeah. is not the fact that you have everything given to you and you make it. You know, that, that's, that's, that's almost a, um, uh, you have to find where that hope is, you know? But when you don't have anything at all and everything around you is basically chaos and you find a way not to get out, but to come back in and, and, and instill this sense of, if I made it, you made it, brother, that's the greatest model of hope. And I think that's what Stockton produces. It produces uh, people that came from hopelessness but pound hope out of it to provide hope to those that are in the midst of hopelessness. That's the beauty of that Stockton kind of push that drive is, man, we're going to find a way in order to produce and make something. It's like kind of like what cats come from when they're talking about from, from Pittsburgh, the steel mill. It's like this work mentality of finding a way to make it. And I think that's what Stockton produces a whole lot of people that found a way to make it. Absolutely. And I, you know, and it's just so gratifying to see some like really positive leadership there. Cause I mean, I remember when I moved yeah. there, which was in 2015. And I remember the, the big story when I moved there was uh, that they had put a bunch of money into the waterfront downtown and all yeah. the copper wiring had been pulled out of it. Uh, Cause people yeah. were struggling and people were saying, yeah. you know, 
So I, I remember someone saying to me like, well, you know, it just shows people don't respect the city. And I'm like, well, it shows to me that people are freaking desperate. If you're going to go pull Absolutely. copper wiring out of like light fixtures in a public place, like what? Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're, Absolutely. You're think, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's desperation, right? Absolutely. It's not an indictment on the, on the city. It's, it's an indictment on, on the history of, of, of society, man. Like people are hurting whenever people are hurting so bad they seek desperate measures in order to try to find a way to live, right? I mean, we found that all through history. You don't want to get people to the point of being desperate because they turn violent, they turn to crime in order to find a way to survive. It's the idea of God creating man to be survivors. We find a way to make it. And unfortunately, when you back a people against the wall, I remember when that thing happened in Waterford. I remember there was a big, huge hoopla over the fact that the downtown, downtown Stockton looked beautiful. And it did look beautiful for about a couple of months. And then all of a sudden, you created a downtown waterfront right next to a major homeless encampment. Come on, man. I mean, you, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't have, this is gonna make sense to you because of Fresno, a tale of two cities within a city, and those two cities that are a tale of it are so close to each other that nothing separates the two cities. Yeah. You don't even have, you don't have a barrier that separates the two cities. They're right next to each other. And you're expecting these folks to stay out because this area looks beautiful. That's not going to happen, man. People are, are hurting and are desperate and they're going to survive by any means necessary. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we could talk about Stockton forever. And, I, I, and it's, it's, it's funny how much I love to talk about Stockton, but you know, we do have to talk about a few other things. Um, so, yeah. so we've had, we've had a lot of, uh, we've had a lot of movement politically in the last few months. Um, and right. there's, there's been a lot of positive changes. One of the sad things that happened, though, is we lost one of our icons of the civil rights movement, John Lewis. Um, yep. And one of my favorite phrases from John Lewis that people have been throwing around a lot is that whole idea of good trouble. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of folks that in our country that think there's no such thing as good trouble, right? There's just trouble. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of folks that, you know, think that, you know, we need, we need a lot more trouble. Um, in order for things to get better. So what, what, what do you think John Lewis was trying to identify that maybe speaks to the moment about good trouble? Well, I think what John Lewis thought, I mean, from Selma is when we were first kind of introduced to John Lewis. Um, and then we were kind of, we kind of see him reappear as the youngest speaker um, in 1963, right? At the steps of the Lincoln Memorial during the March on Washington. And we saw like this eloquent, amazing radical kind of speaker that had like this radical transformation uh and then again of course we saw when he went to congress and i mean one of the greatest opponents against donald trump um which is sad that trump saw, called, saw him such as an enemy instead of uh, someone that is uh, a, a wise counsel uh, because yeah. when a man has gone through so much that he went through i mean he he was beat he was beat down on that bloody bridge brother and yet, and still, he still came out with an idea of helping even those that beat him down, right? Yeah. Um, John Lewis practiced that model of what it means to get in trouble for the good. And I think that's what he was talking about. Um, America can be, become so comfortable uh, that nothing changes. And you have to rattle the boat to shake things up in order to make, make people understand how uncomfortable the bed is. It's, it's almost like having a a child in a bed and that you never change that bed. Well, eventually that child is going to grow. And if that child never stretches to the point where that bed becomes uncomfortable, then there'll never be an opportunity to move that crib and put an actual 
full-size bed in. And I think that's what John Lewis was talking about. And there comes an opportunity where you have to uh, shake up things. You have to have the tectonic plates kind of shift to cause like a little small earthquake. And sometimes that earthquake doesn't cause things to change. Then you have to allow that earthquake to get bigger and bigger so that people can understand if we stand in this position forever, then no change will ever happen, right? Um, and if you look at it from the standpoint of Christ, Jesus did the same thing when he tore up the tables in the temple and, and turned over tables. It was the idea you're capitalizing off of the poor. And all through history, we're seeing what happens when you start trouble. You're not starting trouble for the sake of just starting it so that your name can be recognized. You're starting trouble, whether it's a peaceful protest, whether it's a sit-in, whether it's um, the Freedom Riders writing, whether it's sitting on the freeway as, as our current millennials are doing today, whether it's die-ins, it's the idea of saying, if you won't hear us when we are speaking to you quietly, then we have to get loud. And sometimes we have to cause a little civil unrest in order for the voices of the unheard to be heard. It's the idea of speaking for those that have no voice. And if the dead can't speak, then the alive is supposed to speak for the dead. And sometimes you have to dig up the graves of the dead in order for people to see that the dead died unjustly. And I think that's what John Lewis was talking about, brother, is trouble is not always bad. Sometimes it's good, especially if it brings about good change. Absolutely. And I think, I think there's a lot of people in our culture that need to reread why we can't wait. Um, yeah. Because you know, I, think, I think there's yeah, that mentality of like, for well, real, just, brother. just like, just, you know, just peacefully request, send a letter to your government uh, so <laughs> they can give you your civil rights. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. A letter that will never be read. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just can write to the shredder. Uh, write yeah, to Mitch well, McConnell brother, shredder. The, you know, the idea, the idea that we talked about when we were dealing with Pico is the mindset of how you do demonstrations, right? I mean, Dr. King was one was the greatest demonstrator. And don't let what people use him now as this peaceful guy that never stirred up any trouble. That wasn't King. King was the most hated man in America, man, at one point, right? He, he becomes loved because we capitalize off of the Martin Luther King name. But King would sit with you. He would have a conversation with Lyndon B. Johnson, or he would try to have a conversation with a Bull Connor, right? And then he would tell them, if the demands are not met, you will see 500,000 people sit standing in front of your office, right? And if those demands are not met, we will march up and down your streets. Now, we're not inciting rioting, but if... If it gets loud, it gets loud. It's the idea of we try to do it the way that you asked us to do it. Tupac said it this way. Look, man, our grandparents was singing hymns. We are hungry. Please let us in. Right? Then our parents got loud with them and turned them into raps. We need some food because we is hungry. And now we are tired of chanting and we're tired of rapping. Now we're saying, bump that. We're picking the locks coming through the door blasting saying, look, that food is there, we see it, and you're not giving it to us, right? So mm -hmm. either you're going to give it to us when we're talking peacefully, or we're going to have to get loud and let everybody know, look, there's food in there, and there's people that are hungry, and you refuse to open the door and let us in. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I think the, the things are related. I think what's been going on with COVID and people losing their jobs. I mean, I think it's all, it's all, it's all a one thing. I think people tried to separate those two out as if they're different, but it's not, it's not there. No, no. There's a cause and effect there. I, I agree, brother.
I agree. I agree. So let's uh, let's transition to talking about Fresno a little bit. Um, okay. So uh, a long time ago, there was a freeway built, the 99, that cut Fresno kind of in pieces. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I, I personally like to look at things at a structural level um, and look at the physical landscape of how yep. cities are set up. So from your perspective, what is the 99, what does that 99 cutting through the middle of our city mean to you? What does it symbolize? A tale of two cities. Yeah. Can you I, I mean, I don't Mayor Audrey said it the best um, when he was in the 90s, right? I wasn't here. But, I mean, the, the more you, the older you get and the more you start looking at um, socioeconomics and um, diversity and the way that segregation has happened and is invisibly still happening, bro, um, have you ever done a look at looked at an aerial map? I'm pretty sure you have aerial map of Fresno. And sure, sure. if you look 99 from what is it Herndon all the way to Jensen, I don't know. It's weird because it starts kind of going to the to the to the right, right? It starts kind of pushing <laughs> everybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you go from like this vast area in Northwest Fresno, and all of a sudden you almost kind of hit a triangle, right? And that triangle kind of peaks at the top where it's like this isolated triangle, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, man, why does Southwest Fresno look the way it does? It's almost like when Mufasa or Lion King takes Simba out to look at Pride Rock and Simba goes, <laughs> so what's that shadowy area over there? And he goes, oh, we must never go there, my son. You know, that, <laughs> that is not for us, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's almost like if you are like looking at an aerial map and your symbol was talking to you, they're like, hey, what's the little shadowy area over there with like check cashing stores and payday lending stores and one grocery store and the price of that grocery store is higher than every other grocery store in Fresno and two, uh, two gas stations. You got a um, Arco gas station and you have, it was a Chevron, but it's been changed now, uh, you know, to a Valero. Uh, not one restaurant at all, not one, not a Denny's, nothing but a whole lot of fast food joints right a whole lot of them where processed food is made quickly and let's not forget a very stinky large slaughtering house called darling that has existed forever and then you wonder why the life expectancy between north and south is a 20-year life expectancy gap oh it's that shadowy area over there well what separates them simple the 99 because if you get off on Fresno Street, on the 99, brother, to the west of the 99, you see poverty. To the east of the 99, you see wealth. It's, it's interesting. On the right of the 99, the west of the 99, getting off on Fresno Street, there's an Arco gas station. East of the 99, right off the freeway, there's a Chevron gas station. The right of the, on west of the 99, there's three payday lending check pack Check, check cashing payday lending stores. On the east of the 99, there's three banks. That's crazy. You have a Wells Fargo, you have a Bank of America, and you have a, uh, oh, what's the other one, bro? Uh, oh, my mind just, just fails me. That, you have three, three major banks. That's interesting, right? It's almost like, let's separate the two. So if you took a brick wall or a barrier or a chain link fence, and you literally set that chain link fence up on the 99, 
you can literally lock everybody on in West Fresno from the rest of downtown Fresno. Downtown Fresno is where the mayor, our city council, our police station, it's almost supposed to be the hub. Well, how can you like literally isolate everybody else in? That doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. It's interesting the way that things operate. It's like a freeway, of course, was set up to get people, you know, from Southern California back, but you basically closed in a certain group of people. That's that shadowy area or the elephant graveyard. Mm-hmm. And let's be real. Arco is just only half gas. It's half water, half gas. And I get that water gas all the time. Brother. So I get it. I, I get it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think, um, I think, you know, it's when, when you have structural problems like that, um, you know, the solutions have to be complicated too. Right. Um, because it's sure. not, it's not just like, you know, the solutions have to match the problems in some way. And the problems are just so expensive and the structure so built in. Um, but I, I, I want to lead that to the next conversation, which is uh, thinking about how Fresno is segregated. And if that's something that you think um, will, can change or will change, um, and what would it take to kind of bridge the gap between the different neighborhoods in the city? Do I think Fresno is segregated? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Um, and consciously or unconsciously, it is. I mean, I think that it's starting to spread out. And I, I don't think everyone is happy about the fact that West Fresno is no longer predominantly African-American or brown or Laotian. Um, I think that you're starting to see more kids in Central and Bullard that are kissed by Evans Rays. Edison no longer is predominantly African-American. It's the more the most African American dominated uh, school in Fresno Unified is now Bullard, you know. And interesting enough, that's where we're seeing, you know, swastikas and um, niggers, uh, nigger being sprayed on the on the football field, right? I mean, Confederate flag being hung. I mean, it's not at Edison; it's at Bullard, unfortunately, right? Yeah. Uh, where the trustee, and I hope I don't get you in trouble. Where the the trustee for that particular area is, you know spewing out negativity more than any other trustee in the district, right? Yeah. Um, do I think that there is a, I, I always, I always see God's hand on everything. I think that there is an opportunity for hope. I mean, if a thief on the cross can get in, um, I think anybody can, can change. The, 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 the crazy part about it, bro, is that they have to want to change. And I think we're so quick to try to fix problems without really understanding what the problem is. Nobody wants to sit and just accept the fact that, you know what? We have, we have had a hand in racism. We have had a hand in systems that set up racism, that set up redlining, and no one wants to talk about the history of Fresno and how Fresno became such, such a segregated area, how it still, in my opinion, um, if we're not careful, can be considered as one of the uh, epicenters of, of, of racism and segregation, even to this day, when the North side doesn't look like a South side and still mechanisms and finances are being poured into an area where it's it looks pretty well <laughs> compared to those rep those resources being poured into an area in certain parts of town that it has never looked anywhere close to those areas you can't give the same amount of money to the same districts if one district has historically always suffered yeah. and so if that if, if some change is going to happen then we have to stop uh, trying to give hand-me-downs to people and just give hands to people and say look if we're going to build let's build together and let's fix this problem 
I'm, I'm proud that we have initiatives that are in place, like, you know, Drive is a good initiative that Ashley Swearingen is doing. Um, you have the Housing Authority trying to look and see what systems have been set up in the past that, that, that may have been uh, participating with. Um, you have uh, the police reform, where they're trying to look at uh, how to reform the police, <laughs> how to reform the police department. Um, I mean, you have you have Brown that are dominating um, um, the seats at City Hall, um, but there are still there are still powers that be behind the scenes that we got to be careful um, because there is a network that doesn't want change, and if we allow that network to speak louder than the networks of those that have historically always been oppressed, then there will never be change. And before the oppressed, while we're sitting there wanting the oppressed to forgive the oppressor, the oppressor has to repent for the sins of what they've done to the oppressed as well. Yeah. And until that happens, bro, I, I, I don't know if, if it'll ever change. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, to put it in theological terms, right, you know, you've got this, uh, you know, these personal sin and, and then these systemic evils, right? Or whatever, you know, like this idea that, like, that it exists in institutions. Um, yeah. And I, I know that people have challenged this, you know, like uh, the idea, can an institution be evil? Um, but, you know, it, it's really what, it's what, uh, what your tree produces, right? You know, the fruit yeah. that comes of the tree. And, yeah. um, you know, I think there's some people that want to dig the tree out. Some people want to trim the tree. Some people want to move the tree. Um, I, you know, and I don't know, I personally don't know what the right answer is, what to do with that tree. Um, but I do know that um, if what the tree's fruit are tells you, you know, that there's something needs to be done. Come on, brother. I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I think we've been trying to fix this low-hanging fruit. We just want to deal with the analogy of fruit for so long and wondering why the fruit continues to be rotten. And then we're trying to prune the, the, the tree, saying, well, maybe we'll cut back a few branches. But the problem is the soil itself, bro. The soil itself is contaminated. And it's contaminated with this seed or this, this, this poison called racism. It's, it, it's, it's, in the, it's in the near soil of the country. And so it stems into every branch, whether it's California, Nevada, uh, New York. It's, 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 it's in the fabric from the time that Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the idea of lies that says there was a peace tree that was created when really it wasn't. It was a total annihilation of a people, you know? I mean, it's covering up and saying that slavery was not that bad, right? When we know it's the worst crime in, America, in, in the history of the world, right? It's almost saying that even for, it's, it's interesting how we will demonize um, Adolf Hitler for what he's done, but we will not take account to the sins that our country has done, right? Like we will call Adolf Hitler the worst man in history, but we won't not one time lift up presidents and lift up leaders who still have buildings named after him, J. Edgar Hoover building, right? Um, um, uh, Thomas Jefferson. I mean, you, you have so many institutions that we have lifted up and well, they participated in not just racism and not just slavery, but also the murder and the rape of so many different individuals. Mm -hmm. And until we're able to acknowledge that, just like you said, all we're doing is just taking down fruit, not knowing that it's not the tree, it's the soil. The soil has to be changed and the soil has to be dug up before we can even start saying 
that change will happen. I'm grateful that we're having a conversation about it, but we got to continue to lament in order for change to happen, you know? Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've been thinking about this lately, you know, about soil because, um, you know, I don't know if you've followed this, but there's, there was that Supreme Court ruling about uh, Native American land in Eastern Oklahoma. And it yeah. basically just said, this is all Native American land. And the Oklahoma right. people are like, wait a second. But wait, wait, I, my wait, oil wait. is down there. My oil, right. that's, yeah. that's confusing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, that, that, those are the kind of large steps that we need to take probably. Like just, just some grand sweep, sweeping like world 180 turning changes where we, you know, push, push things by, you know, cause, cause I, I, as much as I think people, um, can, are, people can do good. You know, I think sometimes it has to be somewhat from the top down and, and, I agree. It, has, and it has to be, you know, someone making a decision that's good for society. And I not, agree. And not good, and not good for themselves. Right. Or right. not trying to cover up themselves and not, man, we can be on that topic for a long time, bro, because without trying to point the finger directly at people, we know exactly there are certain people that never take ownership of anything. The narcissism of America is really sitting with the powers that be who never take account for anything. I mean, what kills me the most is when people say, well, why do I have to, why do reparations have to happen to people who were not in slavery themselves? Or why do we have to atone for the sins of the past? Well, unfortunately, uh, African-Americans, brown Americans, and yes, even white folks have been having to atone for the sins of the past forever. The reason why there is race relations today is not because of what people technically are doing today, but because of the sins of the past, right? As a result of that, there has been this disconnection between white and black predominantly more than any other race in America. And it's not because when I was born and when you were born, immediately we were born with the mindset of, I don't like white people and you don't like black people. You were born taught this lesson right? And the lesson that was taught to African-Americans was be careful of white folks because of what has happened in our history. And lessons that were taught by white folks to their children were be careful of African-Americans who are in large groups because they could possibly be dangerous. And it's just the mindset of a system that was set up in this country and has always been set up where you fear the unknown. And until we atone for that and say, you know what, there is a problem and the problem does start up top. We will never change, bro. We'll, 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 we'll give hand-me-outs as a means of pacifying us, but does that really mean that change happens? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what good is it? Like, you were just talking about Oklahoma. Like, what good is it to give land back to uh, our, the, uh, our, our Native American brothers, and then at the same time, you're still profiting off of that land? Like, I mean, what, what sense does that make? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, does that really solve anything, or does, do most people want to hear, you know what, I'm sorry? I don't think we've ever just said, I'm sorry for some of the stuff that we've done to each other. It's never happened. We don't want to accept the blame for, yeah, what our ancestors have done, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, I talked to lots of, uh, uh, you know, skeptical white people about stuff like this. And I, I, I have a metaphor that I use and I, you can tell me what you think of it. It, uh, okay. so I, um, I, I, I say, imagine that you had a great grandparent that robbed, uh, robbed a bank. And then he took all that money that he robbed the bank with and he put it in uh, bearer bonds and he also put it in savings accounts. And then, uh, you know, your grandparents bought houses with that. Your parents bought houses with that. They used that money to pay for your education. 
And then someone shows up, a U.S. marshal or whatever shows up and says, well, you know, that, that, all that money that you use uh, to get you to where you were, we, it was actually from a robbery. Um, and so we're going to need your family to pay that money back. And then that grandchild says, well, wait a second. You know, I didn't rob the bank. You know, that was my great grandfather. He's long dead. It's, you know, it, this is just the money's been cycled through so many systems that, you know, it's just not even really there anymore. Um, and I think that's the best analogy that I've come up with to try and think about it because, um, you know, there's this disconnect, right? Like yep. crime that was committed long ago, you have no relation to. Uh, but it's it's exactly that, you know, it's that that money. Uh, went Absolutely. To education house and whatever else. You are 100% right, brother. It's the idea of just saying, let's just make things right. And making it right means that I atone for the past past pains. I mean, if if my if my, if hold, my father sorry, is, sorry, hold on one second. Sure, I got sure, sure. My door. Sorry about that. School never sleeps. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, when I, uh, I mean, lots of people have been writing great pieces about it. Tanasi Coates. People have been written about it long long before he wrote that. Uh, but I thought it was funny the other day, I read David Brooks, a conservative columnist in the New York Times wrote the best case for reparations as if he was the guy that should be writing that, you know, thanks, David Brooks. Like, I, I don't know if you're the guy, maybe you should let someone else talk. But anyway, the point, the point of what I'm trying to make here is that um, I think we just, you know, we need to, you know, think of creative, because ultimately, we want people to come together, right? And right. I think, you know, I want my you know, white family or whoever else to understand, understand why. And some yeah. people won't, but I also think we can work to be creative in explaining it to people. I um, agree. Because I don't want to create further divisions. I mean, we, we have to do the right thing ultimately, but I think, you know, I think explanation, you know, whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's from a podcast, you know, I think it, it's there to help people to come together and do the right thing. I agree. I think there are some people that are just uh, ignorant to the fact of what has occurred. And Paul talks about that in First Thessalonians 4.13, where he said, let us not be ignorant, consider those that fall asleep. He's not saying that you're dumb. He's just saying you're not informed. And I think we have to be careful just thinking that everybody just doesn't want some, just doesn't know. And so you have to have patience enough to explain and to kind of deal with that. And when systems are set up for us not to know, then we have to be able to take time enough uh, to show people why certain things have been set up and why things have to change. And just like you were talking about, about some of your Caucasian friends and mine as well, some African-American friends, like not to be so in a rush to say, well, you should have known by now. Sometimes America, sometimes our, our country and our world puts blinders on so that the only thing we see is what they want us to see, unfortunately. And yeah. if you grow up with just that, then you'll never see anything outside of the world that's around you, you know? And Absolutely. so you'll, you'll practice um, isolating yourself from people, not because you want to, but just because that's all you know. Yeah. Well, I want to finish by talking about Baptist stuff, which is close to home. Um, I will say this. I will say this. I, I was, I, my dad is a Southern Baptist minister in Bakersfield. Oh, cool. And I, uh, so, but I am no longer practicing Baptist myself. I've moved over Presbyterian wise. Uh, oh, cool. So, so I went to, I went to Fuller Seminary. And so that's where I, kind of made that turn. Um, but, you know, there, there's, there's, I feel like Baptists, and I'm just going to generalize about us. As a, you know, okay. I feel like we just, we, we can, our mouths run the truth all the time, which gets us into trouble, but yep. also is important that we say those things. Now, I want to, I want to push you on something though, because my, my dad, 
one of the things he says over and over is just always be preaching the gospel, right? That's, that's yeah. his, that's his mantra. So how, yeah. how do you, how do you think about interfaith work? Cause you do interfaith work in Fresno and you work with different yeah. groups. How do you think about how that relates to this idea of always be preaching the gospel, which is kind of this Baptist, you know, kind of the, you know, the mantra. like it's a mindset. Yeah. I mean, it's like what we grew up hearing and I'm for, <laughs> bro, you'll get me in trouble, but I don't care. Um, I think what, when it comes to preaching the gospel, my, my philosophy is Bible. It's not about what you say as much as what you do and live. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's the preach, the preach gospel. Sometimes we are, we can be as Baptists, we can be so dogmatic and so, um, so holy that we forget that we're not holy of holy. We, we try to um, proselyte more than we try to uh, evangelize. And evangelism is more than just what you say. It's going and being where others are that are not like you. When Jesus said, go ye out therefore into all nations, the nations that he was sending people to were not practicing Christianity because Christianity had yet to be even uh, discovered, right? I mean, that, that's not what he's saying. He's like, go and just tell people how, what I've shown you and what I've done. And one of the greatest things that Jesus did was he showed love, man. I mean, yeah, he did parables, which was amazing. Yeah, he preached. Oh, my God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But the one thing that we can all say about Jesus Christ is that this man loved people no matter who they were. And I don't know what happened to that. But we love based on the religion of a person, uh, based on their practice of faith, and based on their lifestyle, and sometimes based on how much money they have in their pocket and the color on their, of their skin. Christ did not care what color you were, what gender you were. He didn't care how much money you had. He didn't care what your faith practice was. I mean, heck, he went to a man in prison at the tomb who basically was like, dude, I got demons in me. He dealt with a woman that was a prostitute, man. I mean, he dealt with people that, he dealt with Gentiles. They didn't practice Judaism, but he still was with them. I don't know what happened today, man. I get knocked a lot of times because I hang out uh, in the interfaith circle. And I'm not hanging out for the sake of being, trying to be converted, but I'm also not hanging out with the sake of trying to convert anybody else. I just want to show them love. And in the process of doing that, maybe folks will see, you know what, this is true Christianity. And I've had individuals that have came over to the Christian faith just based on me loving them. They're like, hey, you know what, I never thought Christianity, and I'm not, no way am I taking credit for anything. All I'm saying is what I was raised to see, my eyes started opening just a little bit, bro, to say, you know what, maybe I am, uh, maybe the practice of how I'm walking as a Baptist is superseding the fact that I'm a Christian. And my denomination should never overstep my, 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 my relationship with God. That's more important than anything else. And if Jesus can love anyone, then how come I cannot? A person that is practicing Islam, a person that is practicing Judaism, they're just like me. This is what they were taught from the time that they were born until now. So for me to walk up to an individual and demand that their faith is wrong is wrong, bro. My job is just to walk the life of, of, of Christ, right? Just to live in love. And at the same time, practice the one thing that Jesus practiced so much so was to give up his life for whosoever will. And that's what I try to do, man. I'm, I'm not nowhere near dogging my faith. I will never put down my faith. 
I will never knock my faith. But I'm also not going to demonize somebody else because Christ never did that. He loved the hell out of them. And that's what I decide to do. I will sit with anybody. I'm not sitting with people for the sake of being converted to anything. I'm going to show you Jesus Christ and everything that I say and do. And at the same time, I'm going to fight for justice because that's what Jesus did as well. So that interfaith work kind of pushes in that area of justice. An individual who doesn't know Jesus Christ needs to know that a person loves them and a person will fight for them. And that's what I decide to do. I'm not as concerned about being Baptist as I am as concerned about being a child of God. Yeah. And I think to love someone, it means you don't objectify them, right? No. And some of the evangelistic practices that bother people the most are the ones where you're just objectifying people. And I think that is a perfect message uh, for Fresno is we have a lot of people talking. <laughs> you know, lots, of, lots of people like to talk. Um, and, but uh, talk without action is empty. Right. And, and I think that there's a lot more, there's a lot of people and I'm not calling out any part of Fresno, North Fresno. I'm not calling yeah. out any part of Fresno. I'm just saying that uh, ultimately, you know, I think by interacting with someone from a different faith, hope if if your faith is true right like that yep. that should help to clarify it and should help to uh bring you closer in your own tradition uh, yep. then then dissuade you because if it dissuades you or you know i think some pastors are fear like you know uh, someone in their congregation their faith is not strong enough to be able to do that well then maybe that's your job right and maybe maybe that's your job to 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 bring Absolutely. them to a place where they're confident in what their tradition is Absolutely. so I, I want to end with just asking you uh, if you have any, uh, you know, pastors always have book recommendations. We always talk, we always, we always end with book recommendations because I, you know, I want people to go beyond just listen to, because podcasts, you know, this is, this is not quite junk food. I mean, it's, it's, it's healthier than junk food. This is like a little hummus to go pack, but you know, I want people to eat the full <laughs> salad and read a book, you know, um, that's, that's where I want people to go. So do you have any book recommendations, whether it's uh, stuff going on with Black Lives Matter, if it's uh, uh, religious books that you feel like, uh, you know, readers could uh, benefit from, or even Fresno stuff? Okay, Divided by Faith, The New Jim Crow, The Cost of Discipleship is an awesome read. Um, um, when America Forgets God is an awesome read as well. Um, and then a book on leadership that I love, uh, is um, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership um, uh, by John C. Maxwell. I love that book as well. But if I was to put a book on top, it would be Divided by, by Faith. I love that book. I love it, I love it, I love it. And The New Jim Crow. I am into social justice um, like crazy. So, okay. um, and then This Is My America is a good book too. But okay. Well, I'll put all the- book reads, bro. I'll keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll put links to all the ones you recommended uh, in the podcast. And I, uh, I want to end with this last thing. So if I'm going to order Greek food tonight, what should I order? Oh, brother, go to Churrasco Grill and order a uh, Fatouche salad. Fatouche and you salad. have your choices of lamb, steak, chicken, or fish. The lamb will satisfy your soul. It's okay. something about when a lamb is slain. Oh, that's a sermon. Ooh, yep, that's yep. Yep. I agree. Well, thanks for talking to me. I appreciate you taking the time today. Um, and, you know, I think I'm hopeful and I can feel your hope too. And yes, sir. I, I think uh, little steps um, and some big steps too need to be taken. Okay. So. Sounds good, brother. I All love right. you, man. Take care.
All right. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out the show notes at the bottom for links to our Patreon page, our Instagram account, and all the books that DJ mentioned at the end here. Um, I'm going to have a few more episodes coming out in the next couple days. We've kind of had some batched interviews uh, happen, so I'm very excited that you're just going to get a bunch of content from me. Uh, So stay tuned for that.